Colleagues, Anthony McKay, a CEO and board co-chair, National Center on Education and the Economy, and welcoming you to Global Ed Talks. And on this occasion, I am absolutely delighted to welcome uh, Dr. Tracy Burns. Tracy, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I just want to um, acknowledge uh, two titles. Uh, you, of course, have uh, been the Chief of Research at OECD uh, within SERI, uh, a wonderful role that uh, we have been able to enjoy a partnership with you and colleagues at OECD. And you're on secondment to NCEE. And in fact, we've just announced that in fact, you're taking up the role of our strategic advisor and distinguished research fellow. So uh, this is a double pleasure. Absolutely, it's very exciting. And I'm looking forward to meeting new friends and old friends and having a chance to work together and continue the partnership. Well, that, that is very much a partnership that uh, those who uh, enjoy Global Ed Talks are part of, uh, because uh, we partner in so many ways within the US and internationally. And when we think about that partnership, uh, we've been thinking about, as all of us have, the future of learning and the future of work. Let me uh, argue that, in fact, um, you, in both your trends work at OECD and in your most recent scenario work, have given us a way of thinking about that future that is very powerful. And so that's going to be the focus of our conversation. So, Tracy, let me just take you back a step and say, as you do this work, the work of futures thinking, are you at this point more confident, perhaps, that we are becoming what I might call more futures literate, that the discipline of anticipation is now starting to inform our decision making? And therefore, we can look forward to a future learning system that's going to be more adequate to meet all the challenges and the opportunities that face us at this time. Well, um, I hope so. I mean, certainly, the, as you said, I, I've spent a long time in SERI at the OECD, and, and SERI has done work on these topics for, I think, since the 70s. Um, you probably know better than, than I do. And certainly the last 10, 20 years, uh, very much at the forefront of, of that work. And I'm part of a larger team, obviously, it must be said, at the OECD. Um, and the work that we do there, working with, with countries and, and different actors from all over the OECD and beyond, is really trying to make the case for why it's important that we need to be prepared, um, that it is essential. You know, it's not just a nice to have, but it actually is, a, is a, a crucial element for understanding how we react. COVID was unfortunately a masterclass in that. You know, we used to have to try and explain that you didn't always know what was going to happen. And then bam, in 2020, we didn't have to make that argument anymore. Um, so I do think that there is not only a growing awareness, but a growing understanding of the importance of preparation, the importance of anticipation, and also the importance of understanding what you can do now to prepare for the future. I mean, let, let's be clear, the future is inherently unknowable. <laughs> we cannot control it. It will do what it needs to do. But we can do things now to try and sort of do what we can to prepare and also to anticipate different ways we can respond if we are surprised or with sudden shocks. 
Well, just before we come to the, the four scenarios uh, that you've outlined in the most recent publication, uh, what informs that those scenarios is in part uh, the more detailed work that you do on a regular basis on trends. Now, we've done a recent OECD NCE webinar on the trends, but if you can just capture that for us, because I think it'll help to appreciate why it is that you then thought about the four scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the trends work has uh, also been going on for a considerable amount of time. It's trend shaping education. We, the OECD just published uh, trend shaping education 2022. Uh, and th that looks at trends outside of education and the impact that that could have economic trends, social trends, technological trends, et cetera. What could those trends have on the future of education? And so one of the questions we have is thinking through what that might be and helping users engage with that. But of course, when you're using trends, you know, what you use, the way trends work is you look to the past to look to the future. So it gives you a different way of looking to the future, but it doesn't give you things you've never thought of before. And that's where scenarios come in. That's the difference. Well, back to the future of education for OECD scenarios for schooling. Yeah. Um, and a few of us uh, recall a couple of decades ago when we had a, a go at this, we had uh, six scenarios for the future of schooling. We've now got four. Can you capture for us uh, in headlines the four? Absolutely. And it is an update of the 2002 edition, which you were a part of, along with colleague David Istins. Uh, the four. So first, schooling extended, the status quo, a little bit more international, but the status quo, schools exist and schooling as we know it exists. The second one, education outsourced, is looking at what happens in a more privatized environment when schools are much more uh, deli delivered to consumers and it's thinking about clients and it's thinking about markets of education. The third one is schools as learning hubs, which is really connecting to the community and using the expertise of the community to bring schools to life and modernize them for the future. And the fourth one is learn as you go, which is a fully digital future where schools no longer exist in fact, and education is, formal education has disappeared because learning has been embedded into our days and nights. Let me just, uh, I wanna ask you a question about, maybe I'll limit myself to one question for scenario before we, potentially get into the bigger question of what this might mean for how we think about uh, the system of learning uh, in our respective geographies. In fact, I'll probably come back and argue that we would be better served by thinking about the emerging ecosystem. But before we get into that territory, let me just ask you a question on each of the scenarios. The schooling extended one, is it, is it just the dominant system extended or when you think about that it plays into at least a, a an appreciation that our learning systems are changing i'm not talking about transforming yet i'm talking about reforming right and improving extending at least has got some value connotation does it not or is it just simply the regime unchanged no, no, absolutely. It's extended in a positive sense. I mean, it, it, it's functionally the status quo in the sense that it's very much focused on socialization and care in addition to credentialing. But it's really moving with, it's more digitalized, it's more international. 
And it's also allowing for more personalized learning. So it's sort yeah. of a continuation of many of the trends we've been seeing thus far. Yeah, and so therefore, when you use the word socialization, then, for example, the emerging importance that we are placing on social and emotional learning, the emerging importance that we are placing on well-being. When I think about the OECD 2030 work and the importance of individual and collective well-being, I take it that that is very much part of schooling extended? Absolutely. And it is in, in, part, in, in all the four scenarios, actually. I mean, if we really want to think about what the future of teaching and learning looks like, what is the future of teaching? What is the future of assessment? Those kinds of questions, they play out in different ways in the scenarios, but they cut across all the scenarios. So this yeah. is, I it pitched it as the status quo, but it's actually the future of the status quo. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I think that's a, that is a really important clarification as people think about this work. If I go to education outsourced, I, I wonder why it is that we often cast this as being market versus uh, a public uh, uh, government system, right? Uh, provided or regulated or uh, enhanced uh, or enabled. I mean, the market privatization always has a connotation that leads you into ideological territory. Um, how do you, because you have these design principles behind each of these scenarios which we can't go into in detail, but certainly when it comes to education outsourced, it feels as if this is the space of multiple providers. It's not just a question about privatization and market in a narrow sense. Have I got that right? That's right. And, and I mean, one of the things is that these scenarios are designed to be used as tools. And so they are designed to be broad enough to cover as many systems as there are in the OECD and beyond, right? So if we think about markets in education, um, that means very different things in systems like the Netherlands and Flemish Belgium, where it's part yeah. of the right to education, to be able to choose your school. So this is not a contentious political situation. It's simply an aspect of their traditional education system. So it, it might have connotations to certain audiences, but it will have a very distinctly different way of being understood in other contexts. So it's really just this understanding that there is an outsourcing of traditional education, new actors are being involved, and there is much more choice is a big part of uh, how this is run and what the implications are for that, not just for government governance, but also for teachers and teaching. Okay, so third, schooling, uh, schools as learning hubs. Um, and uh, I often like to think that uh, ultimately we will have a preferred future <laughs> and you can you can pick up on the fact that I've referenced that in relation to scenario three but we did have uh, in one of the earlier set of six uh, schools as uh, core social centers yeah so this is schooling as learning hubs it brings forward the notion of a school that is connected to community uh, and it's not necessarily defined by the labels of um, full service schools or community schools, although it does evoke that kind of uh, connection, I think, in people's minds. So is there a, a really different set of design features here that distinguishes it from the way in which people currently might think about school located in community, community located in school? I think, I mean, I think the, the all of these scenarios probably exist in some form or another in some 
places, right? So they, they yep. may be the future, but they are also different systems are in different, different um, you know, places on the spectrum. I do think that this is the one that is, you're not supposed to have favorites, but many people like this scenario, it must be said. Um, it is what many people are aiming for. Uh, we do see, we do see that involvement of community in many different systems. I think one of the things that's maybe slightly um, sets this scenario apart is, is the connection to the real futures thinking piece. So what would professional teachers look like in this scenario? What does that mean for autonomy? What does that mean for standards, certification, those kinds of things? And those are some of the conversations you have when you use scenarios. You're sort of playing that out in this midterm future to try and understand what that might mean for your system. It's interesting that in the fourth scenario, that the learn as you go, um, there is a sense that when some people look at that, they think back to the, again, the earlier set and think about de-schooling. I'm just wondering whether that really is what we are saying here. You remember in the um, in the whole and IQ uh, scenarios, they talk about peer to peer, and they talk about the robo revolution. I mean, there is a sense in which learn as you go can have quite a sophisticated set of enabling features that certainly wouldn't be schooling as we see it at the moment. But nonetheless, there'll be attention to space and place and time, the learning environments that you access, the peers uh, from which you uh, learn and co-learn. So just say a word about this so that it doesn't just equal an old version of de-schooling. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, in fact, what it does, it's, it's the most radical of the scenarios because what it does is it sort of breaks down not just our conception of where schooling might take place, but the idea of schooling itself. And in that sense, it is similar to the de-schooling argument, but it takes it to a new level because what it's done is it, or what the scenario sort of pitches is the idea that rather than thinking about education, we're now actually thinking about learning. Yeah. So formal education might not exist anymore, but we're learning all the time. And that means that the divisions between early childhood education and primary and secondary and tertiary and then lifelong learning might completely dissolve because that you are in fact just immersed in this learning journey which actually is no longer connected to what we think of now as formal education that's not necessarily a bad thing no and, and then so this i think brings us to the way in which we think about the future of learning and a learning system so as i mentioned before that uh, many of us have been talking about an, a learning ecosystem. And by the way, um, that often equals, in many people's minds, a local learning ecosystem, which in a way references elements of the other scenarios. I don't want to get too much into the power of the local uh, because it then actually needs to be positioned about the importance of schooling or learning, yep, as a a common good uh, in the public interest, serving both local and regional and national and global purposes. So these things don't cancel each other out. Yeah, but I think the language then about a learning system, what do the scenarios say about that? Because in a way, formal, non-formal, informal, lifelong, right, all starts to play into the conversation. And 
you have a conversation not only about the future of learning, but you have a conversation about the future of work. So how do you see the scenarios playing into what we've understood to be our learning systems? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think there's a few elements that um, are really, really, well, I I will say they're very interesting. I'm obviously biased. Um, I do think that one of the things that sets these scenarios apart from some of the other scenarios I've seen is this real focus on what is the uh, goal of education. So acknowledging that if we're thinking about the future of work, it's preparing young people, but also preparing adults for the future of work. But it's really also this piece about socialization and care. I mean, to build that into our understanding of what education is and how that plays out in different scenarios is actually hugely important. We saw that fall apart with COVID, you know, this the idea that wait, if you can't go to school, what do you do when you've got three kids and you have to work full time? So it seems like an innocuous point, but it actually was hugely important. And that's something that many of other the other scenarios around don't actually really deal with necessarily. So if we want to embrace the thinking of system, if we want to really think about a learning system, it's not only making the connections between sort of life stages and what that might mean, for understanding the future of teaching, future of learning, of assessment, and of work, but also understanding what are the goals that are motivating each of those stage stages, and what do we want from education in all of those stages. So it it's very much a part of the conversation that when you engage with the scenarios, because at the end of the day, they're just a tool, right? So you engage with them, you ask questions together, you find the answers to the questions for your systems, and you can decide how what are some steps you can take to act and prepare now? So that is where you come to the system level. How do you engage with it on a system and what would you like to change to start being better prepared now? Yeah, and I, I, I think that's what really is powerful about this work. It, it sharpens up the, the first question of purpose. And I feel like the scenarios this time really help us to build a new narrative. Uh, and then you think about how you design the learning system to serve that purpose. Uh, and we can talk about that in terms of everything from sustainability, global planetary sustainability through to an enlarged concept of equity. Because without thinking about those forces, we'll never have an adequate learning system. Uh, but let me finish with one question. <laughs> it's, the, it's the question about the leadership of this work, i.e. the redesign of our learning systems and where leadership resides. And some people think it resides within the political system. Uh, Others say it resides uh, as partnerships between all of the stakeholders and people are playing in here the voices of young people, of parents, of industry, right, of community. Yeah, that's Others say, look, this has got to be led by a profession that uh, is... Now, I take it these are not either-ors <laughs> uh, because it's, they're, all, they're all part of the reality. So when you think about taking the scenarios forward into the preferred space, and that's going to be done differently in different jurisdictions and geographies, um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think about the leadership challenge and the multiple levels of leadership? I think, I mean, I think the key is is not only getting the right voices at the table, because you're perfectly right, it is 
there is a political voice, there is a professional voice, there is a parental voice, there is a student voice that are all equally important. This is about designing, co-designing and co-developing. And in order to really sort of work together to build an education system that is sort of fit for purpose for the future, you need all of the various expertises as well as the hopes and dreams for the future of the young people themselves. The other thing, and, and, and one of the big questions here is how do you make sure that those voices include the voices of the people who are least able to speak, who are often left out of the conversation, and also acknowledge that right now when we're seeing a lot of changes to, to learning, to teaching, to also our understanding of sort of our everyday work and using technology and the kinds of algorithms that are being built into our decisions, we need to also understand the kind of biases that are implicit in some of those technological choices. And we need to have those kinds of questions also be examined by the same conversations, by the same leaders, by the same actors, in order to make sure that all of the choices that we're making, not just structural choices or process choices, but also the tools, the technology that we're using to carry out and deliver that education, that they are reflecting the goals and the desires and the image of the future that we've collected, collectively decided that we're aiming for. So it's really, it's this very holistic approach to not just bringing the people in, but questioning each aspect in a very deliberate way to make sure that we have due diligence and we're really working together to build you know, the future um, that, that we all, that we would all like to have. Tracy, we have, we have a, a colleague, Charlie Ledbetter, uh, who has been contributing to this space. And uh, very recently he said, listen, this work requires an appreciation of power shift. It's both the powerful and the powerless that need to be engaged in this enterprise. And the great thing about futures thinking and these scenarios is it encourages you not just to think about the problem and then only go so far because the current regime limits your anticipation is to think about the possibilities. And I love the fact that these scenarios come out of that possibility space work. The way mm -hmm. in which you brought these together is incredibly powerful. Thank you for this conversation. Uh, and you. we're gonna look forward, uh, all of us, uh, who participate in Global Ed Talks to be in the game, as you say, of uh, co-design, co-production, co-responsibility for the, the, the future of our learning systems for all young people. Tracy Burns, thank you once again. Thank you, Tony McKay. It's a pleasure.